Thank you for joining us for HLA's initial C-Suite Roundtable podcast, brought to you by HLA's Hospitals and Health Systems Practice Group. I am Rob Gerberry, Senior Vice President and General Counsel at SUMA Health, and also a board member of the American Health Law Association. I am privileged today to have three guests joining me to kick off of this series, and I want to thank them for their time and efforts. First, we have Mike Engelhart, who is the Senior Vice President of Medical Groups and Ambulatory Strategy at Trinity Health. Next, we have Andre Maximo. Andre is the Senior Vice President at Kaufman Hall. And finally, we have Ben Sutton. Ben is the Chief Strategy Officer and President of Ambulatory Services at SUMA Health. I wanna thank Mike, Andre, and Ben for joining us today to share their thoughts on the evolving industry dynamics in healthcare. So to kick us off, uh, we all know that our industry has been uh, severely impacted by COVID. Wanted to ask our panelists just their thoughts on some of the changing industry dynamics that they're seeing, some of the pressures that all hospitals and health systems are facing as we try to navigate this pandemic. So maybe I'll start again alphabetically with just with Mike. Sure. Well, first of all, it's great to be here. Um, you know, walking into this conversation, I went back and looked at some of the um, the data for Trinity Health, and what we are seeing is um, a substantial reduction in emergency room visits. I think that um, we're down about 20 to 25%, and we're trying to get our heads around it. Where did this volume go? Um, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, as we kind of progress. I think the other is um, because of the start-stop nature of what we've been going through with the pandemic, um, oftentimes we've had to shift all of our attention uh, to the medical care of the pandemic patients, the COVID patients, and it's caused um, a slowdown of surgical cases. And oftentimes we're seeing more and more of those cases move out of the hospital. So um, we're trying to um, get our arms around, um, is this the new norm? Which we hate using that term, but it is something we've got to ask. And um, we're not sure. We, we think that um, there are some substantial changes that have occurred and we don't think we will return to where we were pre the pandemic. And if we were being honest, most health systems, unless you're in a growing marketplace, we're probably starting to see declines over the last two or three years. And so um, it's really caused us to rethink the size of our um, healthcare ministry and uh, wants and needs and uh, how does the system office support our, um, our markets? Andre? Yeah, I, I agree with everything that Mike is saying. And thanks again, Rob, for inviting me to this panel. Um, I guess the one thing I would introduce is a, the one thing we're seeing for many of our clients is a real focus on the home, if you will, as a, the, the new site of care. Um, certainly from a, just a practical perspective, many of the discharges coming in the hospital, skilled nursing really wasn't an option for a variety of reasons, at least initially, between you know confusion, inability to service COVID patients, et cetera. And home health really became the uh, alternative site. And we're starting to see that home health is continuing along those patterns. But I think it's also kind of causing a, a bigger uh, kind of question to be asked is that if we could do many of the skilled nursing services in the home, can we do other things in the home? And recently, I know with, with our clients I've seen and a little bit more attention right now is the hospital home concept. Uh, CMS currently uh, has a waiver going on right now for hospital home where effectively assuming that a uh, health system meets certain criteria, then they're able to uh, receive DRG payments for those patients that are provided services in the home versus the hospital. 
And uh, at least from our perspective, we think that this might have some real traction given the fact that there's some real reimbursement in Medicare behind this to see where things shape up. So I think that's the one thing I would mainly add is this whole notion of going into the home, getting out of the four walls. And Ben, your thoughts? Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know if I can add too much. I think, um, you know, both of what Mike and Andres said are, are right on and, and experiencing a lot of those similar things at SUMA. I, I think the question, you know, Mike, you, you said the new normal, right? And that's, I, I share your frustration with that uh, terminology in an industry that's always changing. We're, we're always dealing with a new normal. But I think that the practical question for most health systems is, what of those changes do we think are going to be lasting, right? And, and what, are, what are those things that are going to move forward? You know, at, at SUMA, Rob, you know, we, we've been on this population health journey for you know, seven or eight years with our ACO and others trying to look at things like pricing and utilization and, you know, how do we create more value? Um, that the, the reality is that the pandemic, um, you look at something like ED blinds, the pandemic did what we hadn't been able to do as a healthcare industry uh, for a period of time. We'd all been working on things like reducing unnecessary ED visits uh, if you're working from a population health perspective. And, you know, we, we made marginal improvements in that, but we didn't make, you know, real and meaningful improvements in that. With the pandemic, 20% of ED volume essentially evaporated um, overnight, and, and much of it being that sort of treat and release business that we might have categorized as potentially unnecessary before. So, I don't know that that will come back, right? And I think that's the that's the question that we're all sort of struggling with. I think Andre's points around um, side of care really really emphasize that, right? So we all very quickly pivoted to a more robust telehealth strategy uh, in the industry. I think we're all now exploring remote monitoring and ho- and home different strategies for home care and hospital and home and all that in a way that we talked about theoretically and, and sort of worked around the margins on. Uh, and now we're we're sort of deep dive on that. And I think the one thing that is going to be lasting, you know, regardless of sort of site of care, is that there is definitely a shift in sort of the, the fundamental payer dynamics um, from, from an industry perspective, right? So, and not just commercial payers, but, you know, SUMA 70% of our business is government payers, Medicare and Medicaid. They're out of money in a way that they've always, we've always talked about sort of, you know, Medicare, when are they going to run out of money? Uh, those payers are seriously out of money now and, and, and expanding coverage, right, as we look at what's happening with employers. And so I think we've got, a, we've got a future of continual pressure from a reimbursement perspective in a way that we haven't had in the past, uh, even though it's always been an issue, as well as now uh, potentially utilization that is less than before. And so it really is going to accelerate the pace of change around those things that, that Mike and Andre talked about. So when we look at that transition to telehealth, when we look at the advent of remote home monitoring, do you all see that occurring uh, still within our local health systems? Or do you see these things starting to cross state lines? Do you see some of the bigger healthcare players uh, in our industry, some of the larger brands being able to cross state lines now and take over that service? And for the lawyers on the calls, they look to structure these arrangements. You know, How do you see that playing out in the future? Maybe we'll start opposite and we'll start with Ben this time. Well, I think I think it's natural that it's going to go across state lines, right? And I mean, I think we look at it from from two perspectives. There's the one that is just the think of it from a you know strategy versus perspective. It's a growth opportunity, right? So you can now potentially reach a population that you couldn't reach via telehealth. But I think there's also a, a continuity of care aspect to it. You know, as we think about population health and managing populations, and if we start to be responsible for uh, a group of individuals. You know, we have a lot of people in Ohio who, you know, maybe winter in Florida, for example, right? And so they, they spend time there. 
uh, the, the, the rules and regulations that exist today make it difficult to have a telehealth visit with that person. Uh, for example, if you're not, you know, licensed in different ways across state lines. And so uh, I, I think from a practical perspective, uh, both, both for growth as well as for continuity of care, things are going to have to, to um, go across state lines. We're having that conversation now, as you know, it's about how do we do that? And, and today it's difficult to do. Uh, there, there are a lot of regulations around uh, providing care in different states. Pharmacy rules are different. Licensure rules are different. Everything is different. Uh, as you cross state lines. Uh, and, and we're really going to look to, you know, attorneys and regulators and others to help us through that, both help us to do it today, but I think also over the long term, help us to advocate for things that are that make sense and are, are practical changes to help to facilitate what, what will ultimately be better care for patients. Andre? Yeah, I mean, in terms of, I think the key word that Ben said was growth, right? Um, if you're dealing with the dynamics that we just talked about right now, decreased reimbursement, uh, underlying population growth or just utilization growth is really not going to be there. So wh where do you go next, so to speak? And, uh, you know, I think we're seeing uh, health systems kind of do a variety of different things. Certainly those with the size and scale that have the resources to experiment, if you will, with other business lines and, and tackle other areas. You know, what we're starting to see, frankly, is that, which I'm welcome the changes right now, is that there's more of a focus, frankly, on custodial care for for seniors and how could health systems really play a big part of that? You know, historically the notion of uh, blending senior care with health systems, I think SUMA has done a great job of that given the fact they have a Medicare Advantage focus, but for the large part, uh, that really has not been a focus area. And that's been an industry frankly dominated by a very fragmented uh, group of players. Uh, very few times was their healthcare integrated with the service offerings. And it would seem like it's a, it's a really nice space if you will or white space for health systems to go after in a meaningful way. So that's some of the, again, that's one growth area of many, but I just add that to the conversation. So for me, um, this is, uh, I think we've been on this journey towards value. And I think um, the new norm is really what happened was we got um, shocked. And once the consumer decides he or she or their family can use telehealth and get some good experience, um, we, we beg, borrowed, and steal to try and get 3% of our visits via telehealth. Now, at its peak, we were around 33 34%. What we want to do is to set um, what we think is uh, a new leveling, and it's probably in the high teens. We absolutely agree that we have to break out and get across state lines to take advantage of scale, um, either inside Trinity or with other partners, because if we don't, someone else will. Um, and I, I just think that what we're going to experience is what um, we're experiencing in our own personal career. And that is um, we don't all have to get into the office. Now, I, I'm a big fan of face-to-face -face meetings, but you, I live in the Chicago market. And I'm telling you right now, it's a ghost town in Chicago and it'll eventually come back. But I'm not sure that employers will take up as much um, real estate in the future. And I believe that that was a byproduct and a learning from COVID. We all knew that we didn't need to do this. And I think that um, patients and consumers are gonna act differently as a result of this. And it's gonna be an accelerator towards moving towards value. And um, you know, health systems are gonna have to get really agile and uh, you know, play offense, not just defense in this time of change. So as we look at the management of population, some of these changing industry dynamics, um, maybe we'll start with Andre. 
you know, just your thoughts on some of the new market entrants as we look at, you know, Optum and their role in starting to aggregate physicians and then managing populations, other private equity entities, entities like CVS's Health Hub, just your thoughts as those entities uh, now are either competitors or potentially new partners for health systems. You know, I think largely they're competitors. And I think one of the things that's really fueling a lot of this is that there's a lot of easy, cheap access to capital. So in terms of where where these folks would want to focus most of their efforts on, hospitals, give or take, probably comprise about 30 to 40% of the overall healthcare spend. Uh, there's overutilization in a lot of different markets. And when you think about where is there clear value that could be uh, derived, it's kind of playing the arbitrage, if you will, not only on hospital pricing, but also on hospital utilization. So from where we sit right now, in terms of market entrance and private equity fueling this, we see that continuing. And frankly, I think what's gonna be really interesting right now is we haven't seen it quite yet, but we see some uh, entities starting to do this is starting to think about almost a, uh, a world, if you will, where perhaps networks are not really that important. And what I mean by that is aggregators and technology companies coming up with, you know, marrying the uh, a concierge concept with, uh, with specialized bundled services, especially for the highest cost areas of surgery, kind of creating a, their own networks, if you will, aside from the insurance companies to divert volume to the highest value providers. Now, obviously, with the recent changes in regulations, that's becoming a little bit more access, accessible in terms of the pricing information. And frankly, I think it's going to be disruptive to not only the health systems, but also the insurance companies really asking themselves, all right, where, where am I really adding value? Because the ultimate payer in this whole equation, not only is the government, but also employers. And employers have so far been relatively quiet on that front during the pandemic, not to disrupt things materially. But I think as we come out of this right now, I think there'll be more and more focus on that. People, employers taking chances and saying, you know what, why don't we do this a little bit differently? Can we tap some, tap some technologies or different companies to offer different offerings and induce those consumers to utilize these tools, perhaps get cheaper, better healthcare. Better, Mike, would you like to add to that? Yeah, you know, and I'll, I'll pick up on something that Mike said. I think, you know, Andre, when you said, you know, that, that private equity is fueling it and then the capital is out there, I agree. But Mike, I think you hit it on the head when you said, you know, that, that once the sort of the consumer gets a taste of something, right, as you said it, you know, relative to telehealth, I think that's the other thing that's fueling this disruption, right? I, I think as we look at payment models that are out there, you know, we, we have for a long time in healthcare as an industry, um, not really organized ourselves around consumers in, in the traditional way that a, that a typical sort of consumer oriented, um, uh, you know, industry might do. We've organized ourselves around difficult resources like, you know, payer contracts. We've organized ourselves around our provider schedules. Uh, we've organized ourselves around the various sort of large capital investments we need to make. We needed to make historically to sort of bring patients to us. Um, now it's it's more about how do we go to them, um, and consumer expectations are completely different. And that's I think a lot of what is fueling um, these disruptors. They're they're looking at a, a market that they feel like is inefficient and not meeting consumer needs. And you've got all of these companies now that are saying I can meet the consumer needs and expectations better. And one of those expectations. Um, is around price and the other one's about service. Um, and those are things that the healthcare industry hasn't been that great at um, over its over the you know the course of the last 20 to 30 years. We're starting to get better at it and, and so we're doing it. And so now we're looking, as Andre said, as a lot of those disruptors as competitors. Uh, but I also think there's an opportunity to look at many of them as as enablers as enablers as well. 
um, and think about how we partner with them. If they've got expertise um, around how to work with consumers or how to better interact with consumers, there's potentially opportunity there uh, as well as competition. I would uh, compliment what Ben and Andre said. Um, Andre's right. There's just an enormous amount of dry powder out there. Private equity is coming in. They see a tremendous uh, opportunity and efficiency, and they read the cards and see that uh, um, potentially half the battle has already uh, been won and that the consumer is now willing to change and has experienced this, to Ben's point. And then if I'm an employer, why would you not try and, and get creative about um, you know pushing for value. So where we're stuck or trying to find our way forward is we have to earn um, a lifelong relationship. And what we talk about at Trinity is we're not patients, we're trying to make them members. In order for them to be members, there's gotta be a stickiness, there's gotta be a value, there's gotta be an ease. And I don't think we can do everything that that member needs um, so you're going to have to be very strategic about partnering with what used to be a year ago, 18 months ago, a competitor might uh, private equity, the boogeyman. You may have to find kind of win-win type of um, scenarios because um, that's how you're going to move faster in this um, significant amount of change. I think we'll look back um, in four or five years and say that was a tremendous amount of change that occurred in a short period of time. Um, and uh, we've made a significant change in the way healthcare is provided in the United States. You know, Rob, one of the things that, you know, as we, as we talk about the, the disruptors, right? I mean, one of the things that maybe we could, you know, explore, I, I think, you know, you always run into this challenge of, with these disruptors, they come and they go in a lot of ways, right? And so, you know, there, there are, there's constantly an announcement of, you know, this is going to change healthcare, and then you know, a couple of years later, quietly, we're not going to change healthcare anymore, right? We we decided to not do that, and and you get a lot of that coming and going. So you know, you have to strategically ask kind of two questions. It's you know, what what of these kinds of disruptions do we think will really be lasting, um, and and will be permanent, um, and then for those that aren't, you know, what what kind of disruption is going to be created in the meantime? Because even a, even a, a startup or a disruptor that doesn't make it. Can still have really significant sort of short-term impact to the to the health system if they carve out a, a profitable piece of business, uh, and then you know consumers then maybe they like that experience even if the company doesn't make it. And so you got to kind of ask those two questions, and I think ultimately maybe I'd be interested in sort of you know Mike and Andre's perspective on it. it you know the the real question I think gets to be a build versus buy one, right? So as you think about all these partners, how do you think about your core business differently? These are the conversations we have at Suma a lot. Like you think about something like ambulatory surgery, you see announcements all over the country about people partnering with others to build ambulatory surgery centers. I really question whether or not that's a, that's a good move, right? 10 years ago, that maybe that made sense, but today does it make sense? If more and more surgery is going to be outpatient, maybe you can get to market faster, but is something that used to not be core competency now going to be sort of core competency and part of who you are as a health system. And so it's, there's, there's build versus buy from a, strategic perspective, but then I think there's also a, a real discussion about sort of what's the core business of the health system uh, and what are you willing to partner on versus what are you not willing to partner on? Mm -hmm. That's, I think that's a great point. I think one of the, there's a question above that and that is <clears throat> how you are currently organized, the talent you have around the table is probably gonna need to evolve rather quickly if you want to um, 
accelerate the change necessary. Because if you grew up running hospitals, and we're going to always need hospitals, so I, I want to just preface that by saying that there's nothing wrong with um, coming down your healthcare career, learning how to do that. But if you're really going to take control of ambulatory surgery centers and do them extraordinarily efficient, you better bring some new skill sets to that executive team that might not be there currently because mm -hmm. it's a brand new um, opportunity. And I agree, the question is build buy and once we buy, then I'm going to potentially be giving up, you know, 40, 60 cents of that revenue. Um, but if I use that and accelerate in other areas, that's a worthy trade-off. Um, but I think it also just goes upstream. And that is, do you have the right people now um, in, in executive roles across um, healthcare systems in order to evolve as fast as I think we're going to need to? I completely agree with Ben and Mike's point of view. Um, you know, in terms of the, the DNA, if you will, of some of these other disruptors and these other startup companies, when you think about it, um, the ultimate kind of motivation is not only to build a company, but there's also significant equity appreciation, if you will, that's the carrot, if you will, for each of these parties that take on those degree of risks. Yeah. And, you know, for the health systems, it's, you know, the mission, the, the tax exempt infrastructure, et cetera. I'm wondering if that can coexist, if you will, with a, the right incubator, if you will, to accelerate some of these companies and get the right entrepreneurs, if you will, in here to do the things that you need to do. Uh, I think that's going to take a bit of a, a, a mind shift, if you will. And also it's going to take a ability to act a lot faster than you currently, you know, currently many health systems do. So my concluding thought would be, yes, uh, absolutely agree with Ben. Should some of these core competencies, if you will, be in-house? But what other structural changes do you really need to make? And then finally, do you have the requisite amount of scale, if you will, that enables you to really be good at what you're talking about right now? And certainly there are certain health systems right now that uh, you know have that degree of size and scale. I probably put Trinity as one of them right now, where, you know, candidly with the ambulatory surgery centers, um, I would think, you know what, Trinity does have those capabilities, does have that size and scale. And, you know, that would be a very good strategic question to ask is why wouldn't you try to make that a core competency? And, and Andre, I think from your perspective too, you know, you, yeah, I'd be interested in, in your thoughts on how you're helping people pick the right partners too, because that's, that's really what it's all about. You know, Mike talked about that trade-off of if you can get into something faster, even if you think it's core, is it worth doing it? You know, we made that decision to SUMA around our home care business, we, but, but we feel like we found the right partner that is aligned with us, that is invested in it. And we've seen, you know, really great results with that. We've all also had bad partnerships, right? And so that, that haven't gone well. And so, you know, with, with all of those decisions, you know, you're, you're advising folks like, like Suma and Trinity, you know, how are you seeing people shift in their thinking around kind of who the right partner is? It's a very good question, Ben. I, I think the short answer right now is that there's probably not a lot of great infrastructure and health systems to make a lot of these decisions. What we're seeing more and more is actually um, where we're kind of coming in, if you will, and acting as the pseudo corporate development function, if you will, to help a lot of these health systems kind of think through and say, all right, where should I place my bets? How will this be synergistic? How it will not be? And candidly, it's going to be a different skill set also for us as we kind of evaluate this, because obviously with a lot of these startups and these very operationally intensive companies, what you're really backing is management at the end of the day and having a real you know, strong knowledge base of what management is, who will, who will succeed, who will not succeed. And so to your point, 
I think, uh, you know, Kaufman Hall, we, we have to adapt here as well and start improving some of our skill sets. And health systems will likely have to do the same in terms of pivoting and saying, okay, let's have a little bit more of a structured environment where we review opportunities where it's not so ad hoc in nature. Right now, currently, it's mostly ad hoc. It's, hey, you know what? Someone called me right now and introduced a very interesting idea. It might come through the CEO, the CFO. Now let's go scramble and see what this is all about. Hey, call Coffin Hall. Maybe they know something about this. And then it goes from there. And that's frankly, you know, to be in that reactive mode right now, that's not where you want to be, obviously. And, you know, for those health systems, I think there's certain ones right now that are being much more proactive in that and kind of putting up the necessary infrastructure. And, you know, like I said before, in even frankly, the governance necessary, if you will, to oversee that. Do you need a different governance structure to act much more quickly, have different skill sets on that governance to make these decisions? And I think all of that is true. I'll give a real life example. We, um, about two years ago, we did an inventory of all of our urgent cares. What we found was these urgent cares, while well-meaning, um, were 26 different flavors. Some were inside the hospital, um, run under the hospital oversight, some under the medical group, and um, the incentives were not aligned. And so after doing an assessment, we had 63. We decided that um, approximately 13 were performing at a high enough level, and the rest um, needed to be evaluated. We started a search at that time to say, this is something I think we're going to need to buy, the subject matter expertise. We went through a uh, essentially an RFP process evaluated uh, north of 12 different urgent care companies first to joint venture, um, really came to like the, the gentlemen uh, that are running Premier uh, Urgent Care, uh, Steve Sellers and his team, Dr. D. Benedetto, and a, a partnership turned into us acquiring. Because our thought process was, one, these guys know how to partner with health systems. Um, approximately 45% of the people that show up are new to the system. And so this is another front door access. And um, they just had the secret sauce on how to run this well. And they incentivized the clinicians based upon the uh, speed and accuracy and the quality of the care provided. And it's just, they could get it up and running faster than we could. And let alone they brought an additional 50 plus sites that are outside of Trinity and they partner well with health systems. And we thought, all right, this is a good, um, type of partnership we want going forward. Otherwise, we've got less than um, ideal performing urgent cares, and we got to get it to another level. So we're pleased, and that's an example where we're glad we started the work before the pandemic because we think it's going to pay big dividends now um, as we start to get back towards a little bit more normal life. Um, but they've been very busy um, through the pandemic as a result of their access. I know during the pandemic, uh, Kaufman Hall has done a lot of really good work around the margin pressures that uh, health systems are facing and highlighting the decreasing volumes. So as you all look to diversify your revenue streams, you know, again, maybe for the lawyers on the call, if you could highlight where you think we are in kind of the shift to alternative structures, creating retail entities, creating ambulatory strategies that are different than the traditional inpatient services that are allowing hospitals to diversify their revenue streams uh, and kind of reinvent themselves. I'll take a swing. Um, I think any health system worth its weight and salt is going through a diversification analysis. And I, I think it's important to say it's not the hospital that needs to diversify, it's the health system. And I think what needs to happen is um, you need to look at how much you're in value right now 
and how fast you think the market's going to move. In the past, we hoped people would move towards value. Every year we would go through cost cutting at the system office level. We're gonna take 5% out. Now we have to do it. And so it's a combination of how much of our revenue now will come from new partnerships and new areas that we had not tapped into. How fast will we move to value? And then you have to resize the chassis. The chassis is the support services areas. And in the past, we arbitrarily say it's 5%. Now we're saying we have to redesign our chassis so that it actually is better positioned for the next 10 to 15 years. And so let's not marry ourselves to a number. Let's get the right chassis for the future in value and in new revenue streams. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's right. And I, and I Mike would pick up on kind of what you said. It we're, we probably aren't organized to do it today, right? In the in the sort of traditional way that uh, we've organized the health system, and we are we are scrambling, as Andre said, to do that now, right? And to and to get sort of um, up and running different. You know, we you used to be able to count on you know annual increases from a payer perspective, right? And so you would you would plan, you know, if you looked at at any health system sort of long-term financial plan a decade ago, it would have included, you know, 3%, 5%, whatever percent increase, you know, on an annual basis. That's pretty much gone, right? I mean, even though you might, you might see increases from certain payers, et cetera, if you sort of counterbalance that with what's going on with, with government payers and everything else and, and volume declines, um, you know, we're, we aren't forecasting that. We are on an annual basis, as you said, forecasting a gap, whatever, whatever that gap is every year, $10, $10 million, $20 million, that we've got to find through performance improvement, growth, and everything else, and so uh, we 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 have to do that. And most of that is coming now on the ambulatory side, or on the outpatient side, or in these non-traditional businesses. Um, it's not necessarily coming um, on the hospital side, and so we aren't we aren't organized to do that today um, in the traditional sense. We started at Suma, sort of an ambulatory line of business, uh, about five or six years ago, but but we just sort of it was sort of a, a pretend business in some ways, right? It was just sort of a carve out of functions from within other budgets. We're just now starting to really establish those as, as entities in and to themselves. Uh, and we're doing it really quickly. Rob, Rob sent me an email the other day and said, hey, you opened an ambulatory entity and it doesn't have a, a president or a board or anything else. Can we, can we talk about the governance of that? And I'm like, well, we probably opened two, right? I mean, we're, we're just, we're, we're moving really quick. And so uh, I think a lot of health systems are struggling with that. How do you get yourself sort of reorganized around um, what is going to be not just the future of the way that consumers expect care to be delivered, but the future really of your revenue streams and, and what, what amounts to most of the growth revenue streams uh, for the health system? You know, I, I'll touch on what I said before. I mean, we, we have a real problem in this country coming with the, you know, the silver tsunami here, if you will. There's not enough infrastructure out there really to take care of the, the residents, at least when you look at conventional wisdom and how it's been done heretofore. And uh, you know, from a health system perspective, when you think about what is the true differentiators, what are the true competitive advantages of a health system in any given market? I'd argue probably the number one thing should be is the brand itself. And you know, can you leverage that brand, if you will, and start to get into some of these growth areas that might be more lucrative and frankly, kind of tie into your overall strategy. So we talked about before about Medicare and value. Um, you know, what a great opportunity right now when you have the, the, you know, home care business right now. I think that 
on average, I think it's about 100 to $200 billion a year. It's growing significantly in terms of home care and home health. Uh, what's not being noticed right now is the private duty side of things. And it's typically reimbursed by Medicaid. It's really not reimbursed privately for the most part. What can be done? I mean, can a value-based orientation be applied to that so that it is a win-win, if you will, for the consumer, the patient, the health system, and others? Um, you know, that, that's, I think, the, some of the thought process that really has to go on in the health systems to truly understand what are we really good at? What are our real strategic assets? And how do we leverage those assets to springboard to other areas where we can really succeed? And I think you have to take a real careful view of what the industry looks like, what the industry capabilities are, and, you know, say, do I want to jump in here, here, or here? And that's the real question. You know, my sense would be that I probably would want to jump into a fragmented industry, not one that's consolidated or, or you know, taken on by, you know, huge behemoths, if you will, and, and out there to kind of consider where the next area of opportunity is. So as Andre mentioned, uh, you all serve as that corporate development arm, not only for boards, but for CEOs that are relying on uh, either an investment bank like Kaufman Hall or guys like Mike and Ben who are chief strategy officers. As you look into your crystal ball coming through the pandemic, how do you see M&A or partnership strategies changing? You know, we had historically seen a lot of small players maybe doing uh, deals with larger systems, kind of desperation deals. How do you see transformational deals maybe leading us uh, into the future? Well, I don't know if I should take a first stab at that, but I'll, from Coffin Hall's perspective, uh, here's what we're generally seeing. Uh, you know, M&A will still continue, but the composition of M&A, I think, will change pretty significantly. First is we're seeing more, you know, larger systems, if you will, coming together. And it's not about some of the typical synergies that one thinks about. It's about some of these new order type situations or things that you really need to succeed for the future, i.e., scale, but scale for intellectual capital, scale for you know, having the ability to incubate various companies and various initiatives, scale as it relates to just overall advocacy and relevance here in the market, not necessarily a local market, but just on a broader national stage. And we're seeing more of that. Uh, in terms of the smaller health systems being acquired by the larger or the hospitals, what we're seeing, frankly, is uh, a lot of, first time in my career, at least, you're seeing that some hospitals uh, frankly, are irrelevant, and they may not see any partnership opportunities. Uh, when I first started, it was just a matter of, you know, call the various partners or the uh, the various uh, players in the market, call them up, show them a book, here it is, you're going to have three, four bids, and here we go. That's completely changed right now. And for those players that are kind of caught in a death spiral, so to speak, and they are irrelevant and they have no other prospects, you know, many times I think health system clients are saying, well, you know what, we don't need to lend a left lifeline because frankly, we're not going to be able to add much value and perhaps the market just overall better for not, not having that player in there. So I think that's just two fundamental shifts. One, smaller players. I mean, I think uh, closure into our bankruptcy or things are there going to be more options. And for larger players, different types of partnerships, really more mergers, frankly, than the traditional, uh, you know, takeover or change of member sub or otherwise. I would agree with what Andre said. I, I just think the deals are going to be of a higher quality because no, not even a healthy health system can afford to take a risk and to tap into the capital that they need to then pivot and spend more in ambulatory and in these new ventures. So it really becomes kind of a one We've seen, with very few exceptions, a decrease in the number of patients that are in our hospitals. Pull the pandemic off to the side. The trend has not been positive. We know that 
CMS changed how ortho cases can be handled. So more of that volume is going to ASCs. So if you do deals now, the hospitals are not necessarily what they, what they once were as far as the treasure in the deal. They could be the burden. And you have to uh, make significant capital investments to keep those up to date and to position them for the next 25 years while you're simultaneously trying to grow primary care, ambulatory surgery, and then any other interesting joint venture opportunity that's on your doorstep. So the deals will be really interesting. And I do uh, think that hospitals will close. My hope is that um, medical homes are, are left behind and people better understand that that in many cases is the better alternative. Yeah, I think there, there will absolutely, I think as we go forward, there will be deals that don't happen, right? And, and, and that's, that's going to be new for the industry, right? I mean, it, it, it pretty much, you look back historically, much, much fewer hospitals closed than eventually just sort of got consumed or picked up uh, by, by a larger health system. Uh, there were always those deals. And I think it was always sort of in the back of, of everyone's mind in the industry. Well, if, if we get distressed, then, you know, someone will pick us up, right? There's, there was always sort of that someone coming in to, to scoop it up. I don't think that will happen going forward. To Mike's point, you won't be able to afford it. People won't be able to sort of carry that, that burden or that liability or make the investments that need to be made in something that hadn't been maintained uh, for many years, as well as make all of the growth investments. And so I think there, you know, we're going to see a lot more um, of those smaller deals. We're going to see a lot more things close, things that don't happen because uh, people just can't take that risk anymore. And, and quite frankly, I think to Mike's point, a question about whether or not that's, that maybe that should happen, right? And I think as things move away from inpatient to outpatient, uh, as more things can happen in the home, as Andre's talked about, the need for all of that inpatient capacity uh, probably will be different in the future. Well, I really appreciate all your thoughts as we went through this today. I guess in conclusion, I would ask you off of Mike's comment about, you know, reinventing our corporate functions, you know, to our, our legal partners. What would you say is something that, um, you would see uh, be a key focus for them as they look to partner with you on executing these visions going forward? Well, I, would, I would say two things, you know, Rob, from my perspective. I think um, that with, with the focus on the consumer, right, I think we're, we are going to be looking for um, our, our legal partners to help us build in, a, in a, what is a highly regulated environment, right? And there are all these rules around, you know, really esoteric things around signage and things like that, that you know, are, are, and, and crossing state lines and all of that. But as we put the consumer first, I think that corporate development folks are going to be pushing on, sort of pushing the boundaries on things that have been traditionally very rigid. Um, and so, we're, you know, we're going to need help both navigating that and figuring out solutions for it while we stay within the rules. But also, I think, you know, a lot of our legal partners help from an advocacy perspective as well. And so, you know, helping, you know, to, to advocate for changes that make sense. And then I think the other things is we talk about all of the, uh, as we're sort of restructuring our organizations to, you know, think differently for the future and, and our corporate structures, our boards have to evolve as well. And so to the extent that, you know, people are playing a role in governance and helping from a board perspective, our boards, much like our, our industry is organized around hospitals, our board's experience typically is organized around hospitals. And so thinking about um, how we better educate our boards around future strategy, how we think about board succession planning um, as it relates to, much like we need to bring in new talent from a, from a leadership perspective, a lot of times we, we need to evolve sort of the compositions of our boards as well to, 
focus on areas that might be, you know, gaps or might be opportunities for improvement. And so I think partnering with our, with, uh, uh, you know, our, our attorneys on helping us to do that work, uh, both from a, our, our day-to-day work as well as from a governance and advocacy perspective. I would just say Ben nailed it. It's uh, start with the consumer. We've got to change our chassis. Our board has to uh, come with us on the journey and we're going to um, always, we're always adding new talent to our boards, um, but they largely grew out of that hospital mindset. So I think everything he said is spot on. I've been blessed to work with strategic legal counsel. Um, they'll always tell you, um, you know, you're up against the line here. Uh, but when there's gray, they, they go with you on the journey to try and find a path because I can assure you uh, private equity and other players are trying to figure this out and they are not encumbered uh, by um, the past. They're just thinking about where is the puck going and that's where we need to be. Andre, from your perspective, anything you would add? No, I think Mike and Ben really nailed most of the thoughts. And I think the thing I'll just, Reemphasize with what Mike was saying was legal counsel really has to be a strategic partner and helping to get to yes, so to speak. That's really got to be the focal point. And, you know, we all done transactions before and there's always areas where you have the push pull. And you know what, the, the level of judgment, the business judgment and kind of the overall strategic context has to be applied when making certain decisions. There can't be absolute, there's no such thing as absolutes in this world and making sure that, you know what, balance judgments are made and moving forward to, to kind of look at everything on a risk adjusted basis is probably my best advice. And Rob, I, I feel to add, I mean, there's really, I don't have any improvements for you. I mean, the legal department <laughs> is top notch, no improvements, but I think what, well, you know, what Andre said is something that, that you've personally advocated at SUMA, I think for a long time. And I think it, it would be, I think wise for others to think about it. And, and Mike said it as well, that concept of legal as a strategic partner, uh, as opposed to, you know, someone that you check with or someone that reviews the contracts or, or, or in some cases a barrier. Um, you know, you and I work hand in hand on these kinds of corporate development things. And you have to have that relationship between strategy and legal and, 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 and other folks along the way, finance as well. If it's, not, if it's not a team effort and everybody isn't at the table at the same time, uh, you, you can't get to those right kind of partnerships and the right kind of deals for the organization. So I think you know, promoting that that sort of strategic partner aspect of what you do, I think, um, uh, you know, that that should be a focus of, of um, sort of in-house counsel everywhere uh, at all health systems. Great. Well, Ben, I really appreciate the comment. And on behalf of our membership, I really appreciate you all sharing your expertise and your insights. Uh, it's been a very turbulent year, but I think you've provided a lot of good insights and focus for us to think about going forward. So thank you all for your time and for kicking off the initial C-Suite podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to AHLA Speaking of Health Law wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about AHLA and the educational resources available to the health law community, visit AmericanHealthLaw.org.